This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Trump has descended into full-fledged panic over the possible gag order, and either he is exaggerating for effect, what a shock that would be, or more likely, his lawyers, preparing an answer to Jack Smith's request to Judge Chutkin that is due Monday, told him something that set his hair on fire. And you know the dangers of combustion when spray paint is mixed with open flames. And that imagery is more than just a joke about his bottled blondness. It is a forecast of things to come. We are headed to a legal crisis over Trump's social media posts and his refusal to accede to the rule of law. And I don't know where this ends, but at the far end of the political science fiction, where it ends is a shootout between United States Marshals and United States Secret Service agents. Either way, it is enough of a story that I think it's bigger than the, oh, sexual assault accusation against Rudy Giuliani by Cassidy Hutchinson, and bigger than Lynn Wood flipping on the entire Trump team, and bigger than a tweet from Junior Trump announcing his father had died. He was hacked, we think. Trump writes, deranged Jack Smith's and parenthetically, Jack Smith says, thanks for more evidence, Don. Deranged Jack Smith's gag order request would make it impossible for me to speak negatively about Biden and other subjects of incompetence. How ridiculous. No more First Amendment. 
And regardless of whatever triggered that in Trump's forever malfunctioning, perpetually paranoid, mainly martyrdom brain, it signals yet again that if Judge Chutkin actually imposes limits on what Trump can and cannot say or write or both, we are headed for a genuine confrontation. Trump is told not to attack or obstruct the prosecution, the judge, the witnesses, the jury pool. He agrees under oath. Within 72 hours, he does it anyway. Six weeks later, the prosecutor tells the judge he did it anyway and has kept on doing it, and she has to do something, and he cites among dozens of other things the repeated use of the adjective deranged in social media posts, and Trump responds by using the adjective deranged in a social media post. And the prosecutor points in particular at Trump's lie that he was indicted at the orders of the president of the United States. And Trump comes back and repeats the lie and expands it into something that would be totally delightful and totally illegal. Some kind of court order in which Trump can never comment about Biden again. Tis a consummation devoutly to be wished. And as I said, it's also illegal. But Trump is clearly neither bowing to the instructions of a federal judge nor adhering to his own agreement to those instructions. And that is the essence here, because I feel like the announcer in the timeless Bob and Ray sketch about the driving of the golden strike. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. The golden spike is driven. The transcontinental railroad is complete. And here come the trains, one from the east and one from the west. I'm standing here seeing this madness unfolding, and I know that the next thing is a full-on, head-on, high-speed train wreck. What happens if Chutkin doesn't opt to punish and corral him by just moving up the start of the insurrection trial, say, one day for every violation, or doesn't opt to do only that, but actually institutes a gag order of some kind, even a minimal one, and Trump ignores it, and Trump calls her deranged, and Trump says it's illegal, and Trump continues to defy the court, his bail. His not being kept in a jail cell in the District of Columbia until the trial starts is dependent on him not defying the court. As I said last week, at some point, whatever limitations Chutkin imposes upon him, when he violates them, whether it is the first time he violates them or the 50th time he violates them, he's not going to surrender. He's not going to let them put him in prison they're going to have to go and get him. And what happens then? It seems madness to risk the lives of marshals or secret service agents to protect this semi-sentient pile of feces. But what, you're going to have the, the secret service agents protecting him turn around and arrest him? Or Biden is going to order the head of the Secret Service to order his men to stand down when the marshals arrive? Trump is going to see the photo shoot value in an actual perp walk and just say, sure, take me to prison. I'm not counting on that last one. Rolling Stone now reports that, as you would expect, the I don't think about jail crap that he gave to the gullible Kristen Welker in last Sunday's stenography class is nonsense. 
Quoting, in the past several months, Donald Trump has had a burning question for some of his confidants and attorneys. Would the authorities make him wear, quote, one of those jumpsuits, unquote, in prison? Three sources familiar with his comments say he's been asking lawyers and other people close to him what a prison sentence would look like for a former American president. Would he be sent to a club fed style prison or a bad prison? Would he serve out a sentence in a plush home confinement? Those who've heard him ask these questions about a hypothetical sentencing tell Rolling Stone that it's clear the gravity of his mounting legal peril is getting to Trump, unquote. As an aside, I understand Jan Wenner is asking the same questions. But seriously, folks, Trump's lawyers have to submit an answer by Monday. So they have discussed the Smith gag order motion. And at some point, they have to have discussed the response or will discuss the response with Trump. And that's where the social media outburst could have originated. Or somebody read Trump a, quote, article at Breitbart, quote, news that is their standard formula. A right-wing nut job, in this case the former head writer for the former Tucker Carlson, tweets something. In this case, it was, the Trump gag order is truly insane. The Washington Post then prints a piece critical of the proposed order, written by their hyper-conservative guy who they gave an opinion job to based on his tenure as a Wall Street Journal editorial page editor. And before that, a writer for the now bankrupt American Interest magazine that had been funded by the Nixon Foundation. No, no, seriously, that Nixon. Nixon, who, like Reagan, is still damaging this country from hell. Anyway, Breitbart aggregates these two throwaway opinions, slaps on the headline, quote, Smith's gag order would essentially ban Trump from criticizing Biden, critics say. Critics as if the critics, the Nixon guy and the Tucker Carlson guy, as if these critics were H.L. Mencken and Pauline Kael. And hours later, coincidentally or not, Trump posts the gag order would make it, quote, impossible for me to speak negatively about Biden. It's unlikely Trump just sees that on his own. It is brought to him by somebody. If you want speculation out of whole cloth, it sounds like, The question, was his tantrum inspired by that or by the lawyers, might actually be a false choice. It's probably both. The lawyers probably told him in the last few days how they plan to answer the gag order request next Monday, and they were realistic. And maybe that's where the Rolling Stone, he's worried about the orange jumpsuit, like, oh, now he's worried about orange story comes from. And maybe then Trump calls his real legal advisor, his non-attorney spokesman, Tom Fitton, and says, not in so many words, but says, I want you to tell me what I want to hear. And that's what Tom Fitton does. And Fitton does it. And I'll just mention again that Tom Fitton will never know this, but he is one of the leading opponents of Trump alive today. So that other stuff I mentioned, Rudy Giuliani sexually assaulted Cassidy Hutchinson on January 6th in the Trump green room slash tent while Trump was inciting the insurrection. What did you do during the insurrection, Rudy? No, it's who did I do? This is in her book. Quote, by the way, he says, fingering the fabric, I'm loving this leather jacket on you. His hand slips under my blazer, then my skirt. I feel his frozen fingers 
trail up my thigh. This is the most serious sexual misconduct allegation against Rudolph Giuliani in nearly four months. We got a denial from a friend of Rudy's named Ted, not from Rudy's lawyer, because, of course, Rudy's lawyer is suing him because Rudy didn't pay because Rudy was indicted in Georgia. And this reminds me to remind you that I met Rudy like 26, 27 years ago. And when people who only know him from 9-11 say, what a fall for an American hero or what happened to this Giuliani? I always say, I don't know what happened, but it happened sometime before 1995. I'll tell that whole story again later in this edition. In any event, Cassidy Hutchinson's story is in her new book, Enough, which will be published next Tuesday. And The Guardian is quoting from it because here's another shock. Somehow a copy was accidentally released in advance of publication and it found its way to a newspaper, which makes um, 387 consecutive controversial books where the same thing has happened. I know. And oh, by the way, as Giuliani groped her during January 6th, Ms. Hutchinson writes, John Eastman watched and leered. And one assumes the loathsome Eastman doesn't just have problems with elections. All this Trump lawyer talk naturally evokes the name Lynn Wood, who went from defending Richard Jewell, who was not the Atlanta Olympic bomber, and Gary Condit, who did not kill his congressional intern, went from that to something, something, Jesus, slay them, something, something, Trump, something, something, they can kill me, but, and then poof, early this year, Lynn Wood disappeared. And now we know why. New filing from Fonnie Willis in Georgia. Key line in it, quote, L. Lynn Wood is a witness for the state in the present case. And now we know what a post that L. Lynn Wood made about a month ago meant, in which he said he had testified to the special grand jury, and he wanted to thank the district attorney's office for being so professional and polite. And he flipped, he totally flipped, and now he tells the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that sure, he's been subpoenaed. And they've told him, they expect him to testify, but quote, I didn't flip on President Trump, that's just pure nonsense. I wouldn't have any knowledge to flip on him. And the reporter asked him, well... Uh, okay, then then what did you testify to that grand jury about? And his answer was, quote, I don't have a copy of my testimony and I don't want to go on memory, unquote, which means he totally flipped on Trump and he even more totally flipped on Sidney Powell and maybe on Giuliani and Eastman. Here's hoping. And then there's Junior's Twitter account yesterday morning. Quote, I'm sad to announce my father, Donald Trump, has passed away. I will be running for president in 2024. And Ken Klippenstein wrote, obviously hacked, but lol. And I wrote, why obviously? Because the Junior tweet and several dumber and more vulgar ones vanished, but there's still no explanation from Junior about that or any claim that he was hacked. And then a tweet showed up on Eric Trump's feed reading, I don't want my brother to get his account back. This is all too entertaining. And then that tweet disappeared. But soon in its place, there was a new one that was still there last time I looked that reads, what was my brother's password, Don 2024? So now, not only am I not really sure if Junior got hacked, 
or if somebody just tampered with his supply. But what I am sure of, I guarantee you this, this is a universal with cultist despots the world over, century after century. They used to say this about Saddam Hussein all the time. Seriously used to say this. I am certain that in a matter of weeks, tops, maybe sooner, this will be the basis of an online proclamation somewhere that Trump, Trump Sr., Dementia J, the defendant, that Trump actually did die on September 20th, 2023. Look, his son even announced it on Twitter, but he came back to life because he is immortal and he was sent here by Jesus to make sure America defeats the communists in order to get a handle on those out-of-control bacon prices. Also of interest here, did you hear that question that Representative Sparts of Indiana asked Merrick Garland at the judiciary hearing yesterday? Okay, good. You heard it. Now, did you understand it? Because I'm not sure anybody understood what the hell she was saying. Certainly Merrick Garland didn't. That's next. This is Countdown. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess. The 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. The First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about indigenous women's disappearances. And the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Amanika on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. 
old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Still ahead on Countdown, well, as I promised, the day I met Rudy Giuliani, and in retrospect, I guess I'm just glad he didn't try to feel me up. Actually, that would have been one of the only things he could have done that day, 27, 26 years ago, that would have lessened my sense that he was some kind of replicant or being from another planet. Things I promised not to tell about Rudy. Coming up. First, time for the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze J.D. Vance. Now, you may have heard that J.D. Vance was elected senator from Ohio last November, and you may have wondered to yourself, when does J.D. Vance take office? When does J.D. Vance start serving the people of his state of Ohio? And the answer is, he doesn't. J.D. Vance just keeps on doing what he did on the campaign trail, which is mostly tweeting. Now it's, quote, Ukraine is holding an American journalist hostage. This is a disgrace. And why is the Biden administration opening up the checkbook without any accountability? Boy, when you can push more than one lie per sentence in a tweet, you are a pro, J.D. Vance. There's accountability. There's also no such thing as, quote, opening up the checkbook without any accountability. That sentence makes no sense, J.D. Vance. Ukraine also, J.D. Vance, is not holding the guy hostage, J.D. Vance. He's under arrest, J.D. Vance. And he's not a journalist, J.D. Vance. Other than that, you have summarized the story precisely, J.D. Vance. The man's name is Gonzalo Lira. He's a YouTuber. And he went into Ukraine in the middle of an invasion of Ukraine by Russia. And he went into the war zone and he began asking Ukrainian citizens who are getting bombed nightly and not in a good sense. And Ukrainian military people about what this guy calls the false narrative. Because he says he's in Russia, not some place called Ukraine. And the other false narrative that Russia did anything wrong. And guess what? In any country in the history of the world under invasion, you can be arrested for siding with the, you know invading bombing guys holding them hostage jd vance you're holding common sense hostage jd vance also pro tip the beard makes you look 500 pounds dude the runner-up victoria sparts the lame duck congressperson from indiana born in ukraine but not quite as smooth in english as say president Zelensky. Ms. Sparts apparently got elected, and I say this as the descendant of immigrants from everywhere from Krakow to Alsace-Lorraine. I think she got elected because her constituents did not know what the hell she was saying, and they just assumed it was good conservative gibberish. The House Judiciary Committee did not exactly cover itself in glory in examining Merrick Garland yesterday. Mainly, the problem was that nobody asked any questions. They just made speeches they could play to their audience to assure that they wouldn't be primaried. I mean, I'm surprised none of them said, is tape rolling? 
But Sparts was the only one who rendered Merrick Garland speechless when she asked, quote, are you aware that a lot of Americans are now afraid of being prosecuted by your department? Are you aware about that? Are you aware of that? I'm just saying, are you aware or not? Now, I think I know what the question actually is there. But I would note that, yes, this is the first time anybody in the history of the United States was ever discomfited by the thought that they might be prosecuted by the Department of Justice. Oh, no, I'm being investigated by the Department of Justice. Let's have a party. Christ, how stupid that woman is. But our winner, little Jimmy O'Keefe, the con man behind Project Veritas. But remember, he was the con man with a song in his heart. He took all of his little propaganda and slander outfits money, and he invested it in musicals in which he could star. Seriously. Then they kicked him out. Then his successor as CEO, Hannah Giles, fired everybody. Now she's announced the entire outfit has closed. Suspended operations. All investigations halted. The reason for the demise of Project Veritas? Quote, financial ruin, unquote. But they do leave a pristine record. In 13 years, they did not do one ethical or honest thing. But now comes the real question. Who will think about the revival of Oklahoma they didn't know they were funding, that Jimmy O'Keefe was starring in? Won't somebody think of Oklahoma? Won't somebody think of Curly? How could it be, oh, what a beautiful morning, if they have to sell the Surrey with the fringe on the top? Oh, Homo, where the bankruptcy comes sweeping down the pane and the running feet of those feeling heat when the cops come right behind the rain. You're doing fine, Jimmy O'Keefe-Homa, O'Keefe-Homa. Oy vey. I should have called Nancy about that, shouldn't I? Jimmy O'Keefe. Also, before they go under, they should change the name of the thing to Project Invino Veritas. Today's worst person in the world. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess. The 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. The First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about indigenous women's disappearances. 
and the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear, and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. To the number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic, me and things I promised not to tell. I hear this question about Rudy Giuliani a lot. When did his life go so horribly, horribly wrong? Here was America's mayor, the rock, in the hours of crisis after 9-11. What is he now? After literally years of trying to sell the Hunter Biden laptop story, who does the Hunter Biden laptop story bite? Him. Four seasons gardening. The mascara running down his face. Gaseous emissions at phony election hearings. The Sasha Baron Cohen film. I mean, even back then, I thought it was nuts that people actually thought Rudy Giuliani was the frontrunner for the 2008 Republican presidential nomination, what he was widely held to be just that in 2006 and 2007. And by the time it happened. He was already on his way to spending millions of dollars to finish last. But it was the final nail in the coffin in which he still lives. At a Democratic debate in 2007, October 30th, before the field shook out everybody but Obama and Hillary, one of the other candidates was excoriating the Republicans and their exploitation of terrorism and the Al-Qaeda attacks. And that other candidate said of Giuliani, quote, there's only three things he mentions in a sentence, a noun, a verb, and 9-11. The candidate was Joe Biden. The phrase, a noun, a verb, and 9-11 ended Rudy Giuliani's career, and Giuliani's dislike of Joe Biden, many decades old, turned to hatred at that exact moment, which is why we got to where we got to in 2020. That was also the exact moment at which any hopes Giuliani had of being elected anything anywhere ever again vanished. But it was clear to me as far back as September 2001 that sadly what we saw at that time was a bad man having a few good days. Before that month was out, Giuliani's response to the attack on democracy was to himself attack democracy, to propose that the November election to choose his successor to be mayor of New York should be postponed 
or that at least he should stay on for a few months as co-mayor because he was irreplaceable. There had always been more subtle hints that Giuliani was never a good man, just a slightly smarter one, a more devious one. The venomous Rudy, the scheming Rudy, the amoral Rudy, the Rudy with a bad song in his heart, leaked out from time to time and often inside the world of sports, which is where I met him. You will remember, Rudy Giuliani was a professional New York Yankees fan. He always went to the games for free, mind you, dugout seats for himself, his wife, his other wife, his next wife, the kids, the friends. When I still had friends in Yankee Stadium, they estimated Rudy used to cost them thousands of dollars every time he showed up. He always left via the clubhouse. He always wore a Yankees cap. He billed himself as, quote, the number one Yankee fan. And then when the Boston Red Sox were playing in the 2007 World Series when he was campaigning for president in New Hampshire, Rudy Giuliani suddenly announced he was rooting for the Red Sox. This is like being a Trump fan and announcing you are rooting for democracy. But I went back with Rudy Giuliani even longer than that. In 1995 or 1996, I was asked by the deputy mayor of New York City, Fran Reiter, and the staff of the Baseball Hall of Fame to travel from ESPN in Connecticut, literally to the steps of New York City Hall, to emcee an event for what must have been 35 members of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Maybe the largest group of them ever assembled in one place in one moment in time. The deputy mayor approached me and the mayor a few steps behind her on that gorgeous spring day. As she began to introduce us, she realized he had begun to wander off. Rudy? Rudy! She bellowed. He wandered back. Rudy, this is Keith Olderman from ESPN. He's going to be the MC. You will have to introduce him after you speak. The mayor seemed to be having trouble focusing on me or anything else. I thought of the old joke. Just, just keep your eyes on the Olbermann in the middle. He extended a hand, missed mine, then recalibrated. As we shook hands, he grunted. The deputy mayor now roared at him. Brody, you have to introduce him. His name is Keith Olbermann from ESPN. He's the MC. Giuliani turned and looked at her like he'd never seen her before. He grunted again. Deputy Mayor Reiter now screamed at Rudy Giuliani. Repeat it to me! He looked at me, then he looked back at her, and he said, His name is Keith Alderman from ESPN. He's the MC." With annoyance, Reiter said, Thank you! And Giuliani smiled and wandered off again. And I half seriously thought, did I just meet a body double? Is he a replicant? Is he a well-built robot? This can't be the actual mayor. Well, it was. I took my seat in the front row of the stage that had been built atop the city hall steps as the crowd gathered, and it was a good one, maybe three or four hundred people. The president of the Hall of Fame spoke first. The mayor sat next to me. Giuliani leaned in at one point and whispered to me, your name is Keith Olbermann from ESPN. You're the MC. I talk. I introduce you. I said something encouraging, and he smiled broadly like a child who was about to get some candy. 
The president of the Baseball Hall of Fame wrapped up, introduced Giuliani, who bounced up to the stage and thanked him and got his name wrong. He then launched into a speech taking credit for the great weather and the terrific early season performance of the New York Yankees and the New York Mets and the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Giants who had moved out of New York in 1957. But if he had been mayor, then they wouldn't have moved out and New York would have the four teams it deserves. And look at all these great players. Let me now turn it over to a good friend of mine and a great baseball man. And he looked at me and he forgot everything. Silence titters of laughter from the crowd and finally he looked the other way behind him where the deputy mayor had her head in her hands rudy giuliani into a microphone that picked up everything he said said loudly what's his name who is he and now the titters of laughter in the crowd turned to a little bit louder laughter and some of the hall of fame players seated behind me gave me pats of consolation on my shoulder fran Ryder screamed Keith Olbermann from ESPN, the MC. You repeated it to me. Giuliani turned back to the crowd as if there had been no way they could have heard or seen any of this. And he said, so let me turn it over to a good friend of mine and a great baseball man, Keith Obelman, our NC from ESPN. I just sat there. More laughs, more consolation from the players behind me. I can still hear the laugh of the late Detroit Tigers great Al Kaline rising above the others. Al later came over to commiserate. As I thought, should I get there and say, thank you, Mayor Dinkins? Or better yet, thank you, Mayor LaGuardia? I then concluded, no, I can't do that. I'm representing ESPN. I'm representing the Baseball Hall of Fame. As I thought that, he said it again. So now I got up and I told the crowd, sorry, I wasn't sure he meant me. So if you are saying to yourself, what on earth happened to Rudy Giuliani with that brown schwitz pouring down his face? I am saying to you, he has been this crazy for at least 30 years. You were just lucky enough to have not previously noticed. It is all true or my name ain't Keith Obelman, our NC from ESPM. I've done all the damage I can do here. Thank you for listening. Countdown has come to you from the studios of the Alderman Broadcasting Empire in New York. The music you've heard was, for the most part, arranged, produced, and performed by Countdown Musical Directors Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel. Brian Ray handled the guitars, bass, and drums. John Philip Chanel did the orchestration and keyboards. It was produced by TKO Brothers. Other music, including some Beethoven tunes, were arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. Sports music is courtesy of ESPN Inc., and it was written by Mitch Warren Davis, and we call it the Olbermann theme from ESPN2. Our satirical and pithy musical comments are by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. And our announcer today was my friend Richard Lewis. Everything else was pretty much my fault. So that's Countdown for this, the 989th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Convict him now while we still can. The next scheduled Countdown is tomorrow, if my throat permits. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night. 
and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.